This is The Conversation on member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Bill Dorman. As we head into 2021, one of the questions we all have is, how is Hawaii's economy going to do in the new year? We talked about that with one of the state's leading economists. Carl Bonham heads the University of Hawaii's Economic Research Organization. He's also on the Council on Revenues, and he's part of the House Select Committee on COVID-19 Economic and Financial Preparedness. We spoke recently about the year ahead, but before President Trump had signed the latest federal COVID relief bill. Bottom says that continued federal support is a critical part of 2021. And while economic forecasting is always a tricky business, he does see some positives coming later in the year. I think by summer, everybody's going to be very relieved and sort of a sigh of relief. And there's within the local economy, I think you're going to see significant activity that's held back by lingering um, lingering pain in terms of unemployment. And we will really, you know, we'll likely be in the sort of 40 to 50 percent of 2019 levels of visitor activity by the middle of the summer. And so there'll still be a long ways to go, but we'll be on the mend and we'll be headed in the right direction. So 2021 overall, the whole year, when you add everything up, it's still going to look very, very weak. It's really, I think, 2022 where you're going to start to see the sort of aggregate numbers for the whole year will look quite a bit better. I was looking at a comparison of your forecast summaries of third and fourth quarter looking ahead, and you draw out over 22, 23, the recovery itself takes a bit longer in mm-hmm. this latest scenario, but seems to have some some strength to it. How would you characterize that? I think that that is correct. It, the drawn-out part of it is not so much because of, say, a slower recovery and for tourism. And this is still and will be for the foreseeable future the you know the primary export for Hawaii that drives job recovery in the near term. So the story is really one of the very near term, weaker, and really all the way into the middle of 2021 a little bit weaker, and then ramps up more quickly. But there's still medium run, the next several years, slow recovery process, right? And and not recovering to previous high levels of visitors and gradually getting back to previous levels of spending. The economy as a whole is really behaving in a very similar fashion, you know, as we were talking about So imagine that you get these furloughs and let's say you get some federal stimulus in the first quarter of the year and then it all goes away in the second half of the year and you get the furloughs impacting and all of that is acting as a drag. So you have these countervailing forces with tourism starting to recover and people going back to work and then your other people are losing income and we still have a very, very prolonged, drawn out problem in terms of dealing with the housing situation where, you know, you have a large number of people who haven't been able to pay rent since possibly as long ago as as March. And that has to be dealt with. You know, landlords who haven't received rent payments, who may have mortgages. And so there's a lot of overhang that is going to be a damper on both the national economy and on the Hawaii economy that does make this a prolonged recovery without significant federal support. You know, you mentioned that 
unwinding nature of the the rental situation and the impact not just the the renters but also the landlords and also how much of that in the ultimate disposition of this is there a difference between local landlords and say if not absentee landlords but but mainland or corporate or private equity money as opposed to comma ina situation you know i think those differences are largely in the commercial space right mm-hmm. so that's right you know, we don't have large offshore and, and you know equity money that owns apartment buildings, right. and so uh, the residential is is almost entirely a local. I mean, for the renters, and and you know, obviously there's compassion. I mean, actually, we'll be releasing some additional work that Phil Garboden, our HCRC endowed chair in affordable housing, will be releasing some additional results on estimates of housing need, and we have a rental survey ongoing that will release additional results from and landlords are trying to work with tenants and obviously there's there's some compassion there but there's also a need to keep the tenants in the properties and they both need to be made whole right mm-hmm. there has to be a solution where you can get back rent to property owners and not not make the people who've been unable to pay rent homeless and this is true across the whole country it's another situation where we really do need federal support to make that happen because it's really direct support to households to be able to make their their rents. On the commercial side, there's definitely risk of equity, you know, of hedge funds and other offshore owners, you know, looking at the situation and saying, well, it's time to unload this property. You know, if you've got retail, um, hotels, office buildings that you know, haven't been able to generate revenue for nine months and, and the revenue prospects are limited for another year, the businesses that own those properties will be making those decisions. And if you've got a mortgage on a property and you can't pay the mortgage, you know, you're dealing with the mortgage holder, you're dealing with your tenants, and everybody needs to, to be made whole as best possible. Or there's a whole nother sort of layer of drag on the economy when you end up with foreclosures and evictions. You know, on the ownership side for residential, that's not likely to be much of a problem, despite the fact that we have nine and a half percent of mortgages in the state are not current. We're third in the country in terms of loans that aren't current. And that's people who are in forbearance programs. It's also people who include some foreclosures, but very few. And for that, it's much, much easier because home prices have gone up. And so, you know, unless someone has a, a crazy loan that just has has no equity at all for some reason. I'm not sure what that reason would be. The loans can be restated, assuming that the homeowner has a job, right? The first they have to have a job in order to have that loan restated. But if not, the property can be sold, right? It can be sold very quickly to cover the debt because of the increase in home values. You talk about the ripple effects on that. One other aspect that has ripple effects is is demographics, is, is people moving away. You mentioned before briefly in terms of some people with remote work, the, the appeal of Hawaii, but uh, cost of living and continuing grind of the economy pushing many people away from the islands. How much of that is a concern for you as you look ahead with the economy? Well, it's a significant concern. I mean, we were talking about the declining population for the last couple of years, right? I mean, we've been losing population in the state since 2016. So three years of losses and our forecast has those losses accelerating for the next three years. And I think bottoming out or flattening out in 2023 and having them those losses be larger. And, you know, the reason that 
that's a concern is that these are potentially productive, tax-paying members of society, and many of them are our neighbors, our, our children, and from a purely economic perspective, that's a drag on the economy to lose those productive workers who are almost certainly, I mean, the reason our forecast model says that is just because there are better job opportunities elsewhere. And you know, we often talk about the cost of living as being a driving factor, and, and it is. But if you look at the losses in population since 2016, that wasn't because of rising cost of living in Hawaii relative to the rest of the country. Hawaii's cost of living wasn't going up uh, relative to the rest of the country any more than it had before, right? The, in other mm -hmm. words, the, the relative gap in costs was, was pretty stable. But what was different was that job opportunities in the rest of the country, you know, you could pick any state in the country and find record low unemployment rates and good job opportunities. And so it just became really much, much easier, if you will, and unfortunately more attractive for people to relocate. So to the extent that that continues because of the pandemic recession, then we think that we're going to continue to see those losses. And whether they will be offset by people who are able to work remotely or whether we can stem some of those by the programs that are being put in place to try to try to put unemployed Hawaii uh, workers into remote work, you know, that's, that's yet, yet to be seen. The, the, whether we're all working remotely uh, two years from now because it becomes the new normal is, is a huge question. I, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic. I, I don't believe that once we have a vaccine uh, that the world will have changed as dramatically as I think some people believe. It's just, you know, look, it, if you and I were in the studio together, mm -hmm. this conversation would be much, much easier and it would be a lot more fun. <laughs> and if we were trying to invent something or solve a, a, a math problem or solve, you know, a problem in, if we're trying to invent a, a vaccine or, or a, you know, a spit test for the virus, it would all be way easier if we were in the same town and able to meet face to face. And so it, it's, it's pretty unclear to me that I think we could see a world where there's a lot more remote work, but particularly companies that are doing innovation and are likely to require that their employees are in town regularly. And whether or not that regularly is so often that, you know, flying from Kona once a week to San Francisco is a hindrance to, you know, living in Hawaii, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. Carl Bonham, Executive Director of UHERO, the University of Hawaii Economic Research Organization. And Carl, we look forward to seeing you in the studios in 2021 <laughs> at some point. Thanks for being with yes. us. Yes, sure. My pleasure. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, and Honolulu Waldorf School. 
In-person concerts are on hold, but we're still committed to bringing you the best in live local music. Join HPR for our new series of virtual concerts streaming from HPR's Atherton directly to you. Enjoy music from Jerry Santos, Ron Artis II, Maggie Heron, and more, all in the safety and comfort of your home. Starts January 16th. The full lineup and details are on our website, sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership, Wealth Management. On the island of Hawaii, 2020 has brought changes beyond COVID and a collapse in tourism. There have been political changes. The administration of new mayor Mitch Roth began earlier this month. More recently, fresh lava flows fired up through Kilauea. The new year will bring continued changes, including one of them close to home for us at Hawaii Public Radio. Sherry Bracken is a familiar voice to our listeners. She started doing pieces on HPR back in 2005, and she insists that she will be retiring in the new year. But before that, she agreed to join us to talk a bit about the year ahead on the Big Island and share some reflections on her time at HPR. Sherry, aloha. And what news are you going to be watching as we move into the new year? (laughs) Well, aloha, Bill. Well, I'll be watching news certainly from a different perspective, I think, since I don't expect that initially at least I'll be doing reporting on it. But here on the island, certainly we have a lot going on. You mentioned that we have a new mayor. Mitch Roth has been mayor as we speak for three weeks and three days, almost four days. And, you know, that is just bringing changes. And, of course, our economy is a completely crashed economy compared to what it was just a year or two ago. And I think that Mayor Roth and his team are having a big challenge in figuring out how to help the island recover. Now, as you well know, Madam Pele has helped a little bit with that because our volcano, Kilauea, is erupting again. And that is bringing a lot of visitors to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. But the question is whether it will really bring back tourism in the numbers that are needed to really fill hotels and get people to support all the businesses. So when you say, what am I going to be looking at? Those are two particular things, how the county is going to do, particularly with its reduced budget, and then where tourism is going to go and where we want to lead tourism, because that's been a big part of the discussion. You know, you raise an interesting point, which is related to political leadership of there's there is leadership of leading something. But there's also that that reactive nature of reacting to events. And certainly 2020 has been a year of of surprising twists and turns in in that sense. On the leadership front, uh, do you have a sense yet? And I know, as you mentioned, it's only been a little more than three weeks. But in terms of shifts uh, or changes of, uh, of leadership direction? Well, one thing that Mayor Roth has promised is more open and better communication. And as I said, it's only been a little over three weeks. He has, the very first thing he did after he was inaugurated is he had a press conference. And I had to kind of laugh because when I moderated a mayor forum for the Big Island Press Club, that was one of the questions the press club had. Will you do press conferences? We haven't had a tremendous number of things to talk about in just the three weeks he's been mayor, but I expect he'll be out there more with that kind of communication. He also has some very significant ideas about the economy. Now, I understand that 
this whole pandemic was a big surprise to everybody. But people are looking, I think, to the county for some positive leadership and how we're going to get out of this. And Mayor Roth definitely has already begun talking with the members of the Chambers of Commerce on the island. We have the Hawaii Island Chamber on the east side and the Konakohala on the west side. We have the Japanese Chamber, the Portuguese Chamber. And Mayor Roth wants to stay in close contact. And his plan, as he told me a couple of weeks ago, was to have himself personally involved, but also have one of his executive assistants really stay in touch with the business community to see how we can make the regulations for the businesses accommodate what the new reality is, whether it's expanding dining to outdoors, which is not something that's been a real common practice here, whether it's, you know, just changing the way COVID's being addressing to both keep people safe, but let the economy figure out how it's going to survive. So that's going to be huge, you know, and I know he wants, his plan is he's hosting a sustainability conference and that is going to be, he said, within the first 100 days, and he was already planning for it prior to his inauguration. So he really wants to take a forward-looking view, which is going to be a challenge, given that our present view is just changing every single day, as you know, with either COVID or not COVID, visitors coming or not coming, a volcano erupting and bringing a lot of bog to the west side of the island while bringing some additional visitors to Volcano. And it's interesting that that theme of sustainability sort of under underneath all of that and, and flowing through all of that. Uh, you know, a lot of talk just around the islands generally and different, different islands and leadership of different islands responding in different ways to the idea of sustainability of one of the threads of tourism. And as tourism recovers at however tepid that pace of recovery may be, uh, working in sustainability as a theme as that goes along. How's that, is it, is there a sense of how that may play out on the Big Island? Not so much. I've been talking with Ross Birch, who's head of the Hawaii Island Visitor Bureau, and prior to John DeFries taking over as head of HTA, Ross said we never would have shut down our tourism economy but since we did, let's figure out a way to bring it back in a way that accommodates the island better and accommodates the needs of the residents as well as the visitors. So that is something that is still to be revealed a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how we work sustainability. And also, John DeFries wants to make sure we absolutely work the culture into how we address tourism and how how we welcome tourists because we absolutely need them. I mean, people who think that we don't need tourists are missing the primary driver for our economy, but how we welcome them back in a way that doesn't stress our island as much as it has been stressed. Sort of like what they're doing on Oahu with closing Hanama Bay a couple of days and limiting the number of visitors, things that we have not really done before here on this island, certainly, and actually not throughout the state as much as could be done. That's a that's a good point. You know, on a uh, on a personal note, you've lived on the Big Island since 1994 and and been on the yes. radio since 2004. You started <laughs> doing work for HPR in in 2005. You've maintained a weekly interview program for a long time as well. And uh, boy, you've moderated more than a hundred candidate forums <laughs> over the past 22 <laughs> years. 
lots of changes on your island over that time. Um, anything in particular strike you as, as you look back on that time? <laughs> Unfair. Oh, my goodness. Well, one thing is, my gosh, I'm a lot older than I was when I first started <laughs> in this business, which I suppose everybody has that feeling now and then. But, you know, for me personally, I've had a fabulous time doing the interviews and also reporting news for Hawaii Public Radio. And when we talked about having this discussion today, I look back at my computer and I have my HPR stories back to 2008. And I have records of my interviews back to 2004 when I first started in radio here on the island. I just had the greatest opportunity to help track the progress of our island through that time interviewing politicians and some of my most favorite interviews have been with people about science, whether it's volcano and the science surrounding that or astronomy and the science surrounding that or medicine and all of the scientific discoveries, which are certainly tumbling upon themselves right now with COVID. But just there's just so much that has happened Yet, as I look out the window here as we're recording this, you know, our island is not that different. We've had many more people come move to the island. I've had some great interviews. I, I don't know if I told you some of my favorite interviews were with Dr. Susan Solomon. She won a Nobel Prize for her work on climate change when Al Gore won his. She's the one who did the work. And... I had a chance two times to interview Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN medical analyst, when he was here on the island a couple of times. And he was very informative relative to medicine, but he was also filled with little cute stories about his family that I really appreciated hearing. The other thing is, when you ask my observations, I look at what our island has gone through, particularly in the last six years. 2014 brought a lava flow, which came to the very edge of Pahoa Town. It took out a beautiful old Japanese cemetery and part of the transfer station. But that was a daily story that I reported quite frequently for Hawaii Public Radio. You know, and you talk about other challenges. 2016 brought dengue fever. 2018, we had the destructive lava flow, which destroyed more than 700 homes and brought so much sadness to our island and also brought Selfishly speaking, living in West Hawaii, a heavy, heavy, thick blanket of fog where the sun sometimes didn't even come through the fog on some days. And then we've had two years of crystal clear skies, and now we have a new eruption 10 months into COVID. And, of course, COVID is like, well, a real game changer for everybody. It has been a, uh, a, a long period of many events, and, and we appreciate you covering so many of them for uh, for HPR and uh, Sherry thanks so much for your uh, for your time today and for your work over the past 15 years mahalo well I really appreciate it can I tell you one quick story about my very favorite interview ever sure two Mokalele Airlines pilots on their own time as you may remember in 2014 were flying from Oahu to Kona Sydney Uimoto was one of the pilots David McMahon was the other they were flying here because Sydney's dad, Stan, was having a birthday, and their plane had a huge malfunction. Both engines stopped. Sydney landed the plane in the Alinui Haha Channel, and she and David watched the plane.
plane sink almost immediately. They had already notified Control Tower of what the situation was, but their plane went down and they had no choice. They started swimming towards the big island and they swam from 3 or 3.30 one afternoon till 10 the next morning when they were finally about five miles off the big island and they were spotted and rescued. And that was the happiest ending story I ever had the joy to talk about. And it still brings me to tears sometimes, but that was a great one. That's great. It's nice when joy can be a part of the story as well. And we'll have a lot of joy going forward, I'm absolutely sure. Thank you so much. I have loved reporting for HPR. And I'm not out of your hair. I'll let you know when I think you need to know about things. You know that. Excellent. Well, we appreciate that. And mahalo nui loa. Thank you. Aloha. Aloha. That latest pandemic relief package from Washington includes nearly $2 billion in federal funds for Hawaii. That may sound like an impressive headline figure, but it actually may not go very far. That's a story Nick Gruby has today at Honolulu Civil Beat, and he joins us on his New Year's Eve afternoon from Washington. Nick, thanks for joining us. Happy nearly New Year. And you write that this package has fallen short of expectations for Hawaii's political leaders. Hi, Bill. Happy New Year to you as well, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, I think that this package is something that is looked at as necessary, but still not enough. Now, Congress, of course, uh, struggled mightily to pass a new relief package after the CARES Act. Of course, the November election sort of jumped in the way of that, and there was a lot of politicking between Democrats and Republicans, especially as Uh, President Donald Trump tried to win a second term in the White House. Now, at the end of the day, I think that most politicians here in Washington understood that financial relief was necessary, and they finally did come to an agreement on a $900 billion spending package, which is about a a third of what um, Democrats had in the House had initially proposed. They had proposed a $3 trillion deal. Now, This $900 billion, of course, does include a lot of money for the state of Hawaii. And Senator Brian Schatz, uh, who sits on the Appropriations Committee, he estimated that about $2 billion will be coming into the state. Now, of course, that sounds like a lot. He does expect the state to get more. But at the same time, um, there are concerns that it's just not going to go far enough. For instance, uh, Hawaii Governor David Ige has said that the new stimulus will at least hold off um, furloughs of state workers until at least July, because there is going to be a few hundred million, uh, $200 million for the Department of Education and $150 million to help with uh, testing and contact tracing of the coronavirus, um, which, which will sort of offset some of the lock, uh, loss of revenue over this time. Um, but again, even Ige says, thanks, still not enough, we need more. You know, and one of the phrases that you hear certainly from the uh, president-elect Biden, uh, Vice President-elect Harris coming in, 
is uh, is the phrase down payment that more is going to be expected. And of course, that flows through the politics of the Senate and, and right now flows through the politics of that, that Georgia race. That's correct. Uh, just when we thought that uh, election season was over, uh, bam, we get hit with the Georgia election uh, next week, uh, which will determine control of the United States Senate. Now, if Democrats can pull off uh, wins in both races, they will hold a slim, slim majority with a Harrison tiebreaker uh, in in 2021. Now, if that should happen, they will have a lot more leeway in terms of um, pushing through lots of legislation, including a, mo- a potentially more robust relief package. Um, now, if that doesn't happen, there's going to have to be a lot more bipartisan negotiation. Uh, Republican Mitch McConnell will still be the majority leader, of course. And as we've seen with him um, in his time in power, uh, he doesn't tend to give too much to to the democrats but at the same time everybody does i think still understand that more money is is needed in the coming coming year at least you know you you write uh, as well in terms of ticking off some of the uh, the big items that are covered you mentioned the vaccine distribution and also the idea that as this goes ahead there might be more because of the challenges of of neighbor islands in particular on this that's right now this particular relief package does include $35 million for Hawaii for vaccine distribution. But when I talked to Senator Schatz about it um, yesterday, he had said that there's another pot of money that Hawaii will have access to that will help to deal with some of the unique challenges of actually getting the vaccine to where it needs to go in an island state, such a, uh, especially when you're talking about a vaccine that needs refrigeration um, and that needs to hop between islands and into remote areas. So the, the state should be able to get access to even more money to help with that. And addition, we, will, we will keep an eye on, on that development and on, on other money developments, and uh, including those flowing through Washington. Nick, thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> thanks so much, Bill. I appreciate it. You bet. Nick Groovy with today's Reality Check. You can read his story online at civilbeat.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering the global MBA with 21-month, 24-month, and 36-month options. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. HPR brings you vital information from the islands and around the world. It brings you music that enriches and uplifts. And it keeps you company, providing moments of levity and joy along with the news. Whatever your day looks like, stay connected at home with your smart speaker. It's easy. Just say Play KHPR for HPR 1 or Play KIPO for HPR 2. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Honolulu Habitat for Humanities Restore, a home improvement store and donation center, open Tuesday through Saturday from 9.30 to 4. HonoluluHabitat.org. A new Hawaiian learning school is hoping to reach people at their homes, whether that's here in the islands or around the globe. 
Kahale Hoako was launched online this year as the pandemic moved most students to go virtual. A new keiki program aimed at kids aged 5 to 11 teaches Hawaiian language, music, chant, hula, arts, and crafts. Miley Naeho is a Native Hawaiian educator and co-founder of Kahale Hoaka. She spoke with Conversations Jason Ubai about the genesis for this program. I am uh, Kumu, uh, an educator in Hawaiian language, Hawaiian culture, Hawaiian history. I also teach the arts in all forms in our community here on Molokai. And I've been an educator for the last 20 years or so. Um, my background comes from uh, being a child of Kanaka Maoli descent. Uh, went to Kamehameha schools most of my life and um, had somewhat of a foundation and identity, um, an idea of my identity, but I always felt like I couldn't fully connect. Probably the same issue that a lot of Kanaka Maoli face is that there's this disconnect that happened long ago before we even came here. We don't really understand why. And so as I became older and in high school, I really, uh, an interest sparked and a desire to further that knowledge and to regain that knowledge that I felt like um, was taken. And I, I, I really needed to give back to our people, especially because uh, Kamehameha schools had really given me this uh, mahalo. I felt like I needed to mahalo our, our ali'i, powahi, and what she had blessed me with, and so I needed to pay it forward. And so I used a scholarship for Kamehameha Schools and put myself through University of Hawaii at Manoa and majored in Hawaiian Studies, attained my bachelor's in traditional society in Hawaiian Studies. I was the first graduating class at Kamakakokalani Center for Hawaiian Studies and um, just mentored by some really incredible kumu throughout my whole life, and um, it just fed that fire that I had in me and I knew that one day I would be a mother and so I, I you know I pledged to myself to um, not only give the gift back to my people but to give that gift to my own keiki that I would have in the future and so um, when I had my first son he was three and ready to enroll at Punana Leo Olahaina and some of the kumu were familiar with me from UH Manoa, and they said, hey, we need a kumu. And I was like, whoa, that's not what I was planning to do. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really sure, actually, what I was planning to do with my degree, but that it just, you know, I think it was my kupuna, my ancestors, that kind of pulled me towards that kuleana and that role and put me in this really uncomfortable place, but it was actually the most comfortable setting for me to learn and embrace. Olelo was with my keiki and other three- and four-year-olds. <laughs> And I strengthened my language there, and from there it just it became my my you know my path in life to become an educator and um, to teach immersion, and then eventually went back to teach for Kamehameha Schools literacy and um, cultural arts as well. So now I am working independently as a contracted educator with the DOE, and I founded my own school with. Um, my good tita from back in Lahaina Luna, Lahaina days. I'm a Lahaina girl, and um, Kalani Ho. And so we created this incredible school because she desired to bring that into her home. She's raising her Hawaiian keiki in Tahoe after she lost her beloved husband, and she had two small keiki to take care of. And she said, you know, my husband and 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 I agreed that this is what we wanted to give our children and. I need to carry this through, and would you teach my kids? And I was like, whoa, this is only in March now when lockdown happened. And, 
And so that's how it all began. She's an incredible entrepreneur. She used to be my manager, general manager at the Old Lahaina Lua when I was MC there and teaching, you know, immersion. And she said, let's start a school together. You know, I have the business skills. You are an incredible teacher. And I, I, I just want to give you the space to to be able to share that with any family that wants to bring it into their home. So it just took my education career in Kuleana like tenfold within the last six months. So it's pretty incredible. Can you talk about Kahale Hoaka? How does the program work? Uh, can you walk us through uh, yeah. what a student would go through? Okay. So the very first program that we um, completed is a, is a full course that you could either bring into homeschool, a homeschool environment, or even a classroom environment in a regular, you know, school setting, public, private, whatever. It's very comfortable. It's all pre-recorded, and it's a keiki program, and so it really teaches beginners of all ages. But I call it the keiki program because it's super engaging. It's what I experienced in an immersion classroom. A lot of songs, mele, a lot of hula, a lot of mo'olelo and storytelling you know, very engaging, because that really is the core of our language, or it's expressed through these, these forms of art. And so there's a strong essence of that in the Kiki program. It's 16 classes, and they're all like about a half an hour long, and it's all pre-recorded, like I said, and then we have like, I also teach Oli and Mele, and you know, how to speak functional, conversational, everyday Olelo Hawaii in your home. I give free like printouts and coloring pages with olelo no'eau or proverbs that you can put around the home to create an immersive environment, um, flashcards. So we, we just went for it. I, I just tried to duplicate all the core um, elements of an immersion environment and, you know, offer it to people who want to bring it right into their space anywhere, anywhere in the world. Can you talk about that, why it's important to kind of reach everyone? I know uh, you said your business yeah. partner is in... Tahoe yeah. uh, and you know the Hawaiian diaspora is yeah. widespread. Why is it important to reach Kanaka all over? Um, because I think that there's something so incredibly valuable that the Hawaiian people and our culture can really teach the world, and and a lot of these values and beliefs are really universal. But at the core of it all, you know, Kamaka Mali function in a place of aloha, aloha aina, aloha kekahi kekahi. And so that's really the core of how what I teach, is how to build good human beings, you know, with these core values, with these universal, um, you know, traditions and beliefs that we can all relate to. But um, there's so many kanaka, like I said, you know, that are more kanaka around the world than in Hawaii. And they're, they're hungry. They're hungry to reconnect with home. And they've had to either move away generations ago, so some of them weren't even raised in Hawaii. Their parents had moved away, you know, so they're like second, third generation away. But they, they, they're longing to reconnect. And so, you know, there's a lot of um, different ways nowadays. It's just incredible, the, the resources that are out there. But I wanted to offer something that was a little bit deeper so i have you know the the more intensive courses but i also balanced it out with a lot of free content because i wanted it to be accessible to anyone at any budget so i actually create more free content than paid content because like i said at the core of it all it's it's aloha you know and that's why i i do what i do is to bring those values back because i really think i really i know just from looking at my own family and my community and 
the, um, the ones who have been raised with those values, you can see. You can see a difference, and that's the difference that we need right now. What programs do you have um, planned for the future? So um, recently we released Keaune. Keaune means the world or the universe around us, this realm. And so in this program, we explore Indigenous science from a Hawaiian perspective. It's super exciting because it's all these subjects that I've taught in the classroom before, and I got to throw them all together, all my favorite stuff, which is it's based in the sciences. So we hit all, like, it can, it's perfect for any classroom, K through 12, perfect, or any beginning learner. So it's already being used in some DOE classes, classes and we hit all the science core standards. We hit language arts standards because we take them through the writing process. They create creative writing about indigenous science contents like why are pohaku or rocks significant to the Hawaiian culture? What is the significance of sand? Looking at different earth materials. We even learn about the makani, the wind, and, and learn their, their names because in Hawaii we have names for our makani, you know, the ko'olau, the kona, the malanai winds. And so growing up here or having a, a connection to Hawaii, it's so important. We've lost so much of this stuff. So in this indigenous program, it's all this stuff that we really should know. And so um, I packed it all up in a beautiful curriculum called Keone. And then I am going to be offering uh, three different paths to learning. I'm super excited about this for adult learners, makua. So it's a papa makua. Papa means class. Makua means adult or parent. And um, the first choice is a crash course weekend. So, you know, a lot of us are busy, but hey, in a weekend, what if you could learn all the fundamentals, how to say who, what, when, where, why, you know, and things like that, and how to answer them. That would be amazing. So that's, I'm going to pack that into a weekend. That's the first choice. And you could do it one, two, or three. The second choice is um, to do a full 12-class course with me, and it's going to be about 40, 45-minute classes, and that'll be once a week, and that'll be pre-recorded, so you can watch it whenever you want, begin and end whenever you want. And then the third choice, you can have all three, like I said, if you want to go for it or just take the crash course if that works for you. But the last one is an add-on, and it's actually a live, a weekly live with me that will focus on the previous work, um, the previous week's work as I release the adult program. So you got to catch that live one, you know, right when it's released, and then we can really get a little bit more one-on-one and um, questions and answers done in those tutoring type of sessions. So I'm really excited. That's what's coming out. So right now we're actually running a special. It's $97 um, for a one-time fee to have annual access to the Kiki program. And you actually access a lot of other things once you're in the membership area. Um, And then if that doesn't work for you and you think, oh, maybe I just need like seven or eight months of this membership and access, you can do a, a monthly subscription for $12. So whatever works for you. Like I said, we have tons of free material because, um, you know, everyone should have an opportunity to um, learn uh, the Hawaiian culture, especially Kanaka Maoli, especially if you're growing up in Hawaii. So important to connect. So we have stuff on YouTube. Our channel is Kahale Hoaka on YouTube. Follow us. And then we have an FB page, Kahale Hoaka. Super easy. It's all the same name. And then our website is kahalehoaka.com. And that's when you can get 
you know, purchase classes, get into our email family. Highly encourage you to go there, kahalehuaka.com, get into our email family, because then you'll get, like, first dibs and invites to all of our stuff. You get exclusive offers, workshop stuff. So, yeah, and then we also have an Instagram, of course, kahalehuaka. So we're really excited to keep growing our family, our ohana. Mylene Ehu co-founder of the online Hawaiian learning school, Kahale Hawaka. We'll have links to the school's website and social media at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art with the Homa Shop offering art-inspired gift ideas for the holidays. Proceeds benefit museum programs and exhibitions also online at shop.honolulumuseum.org. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Dr. Paria Hasuri, author of Found in Transition. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about my evolution during my child's gender change. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. As we close out a difficult and challenging 2020, we wanted to share some thoughts on the year ahead. We're starting with two public servants who are in transition with the change of the year, mayors who have served their counties for years. Now former Mayor Harry Kim of the County of Hawaii talked about the importance of hope, but also of gratitude. First of all, that uh, this country, this world, will you know go and ride this uh, coronavirus and uh, worse will pass. And I hope that uh, when this does pass, so even now, just to look at uh, how lucky we are, the things we do have, and those are not just words in my life. I, I come from a family. I'm a Nisei, and you know, I know what hardship is uh, by my parents and other people, and I think we should, you know. Always remember the good things that I really, you know, I meant these words uh, when I write to you live in a very special place of nature's gifts and the warmest of people. And those are not, I just don't write words. I really think of what I'm going to write. And I, and all of us, instead of belly aching or always the negatives, I think we better take a look at how lucky we are and have one goal, make it better. Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell still has another couple of days in office. We know he plans to do a little camping in the near-term future, but he talked about starting 2021 on an optimistic note. So I have a lot of hope for the future. One is the hope is based on the foundation of what's already happened, and watching and, and feeling the actions of the people of Oahu, the residents of this island of a million people, the sacrifices they've made, both in terms of preserving the health of each other, and also helping businesses that are feeling and reeling from the impacts of COVID-19 are overwhelming. And I'm so proud of the people of this island and what they've done. And that gives me the foundation for hope that I know it's within all of us here that we continue to pull together in a cocoa way, 
that we dig deep with probably the greatest crisis in 100 years. Maybe the attack on Pearl Harbor equals that, but equivalent, and that we are going to be better, that a vaccine is on the horizon, that we're going to hold the course until that vaccine is distributed to 60 or 70 percent of the people of this island, and that we're going to come out of this very dark period of time, this dark winter, into a more brightful and hopeful spring and an incredibly bright summer. And it's all due to the hard credit, to the hard work of the people of Oahu. And to both transitioning mayors on behalf of the people of your counties, we thank you for your service. We also heard from some of our listeners and wanted to share a couple of their New Year's thoughts with you on themes of gratitude, ranging from the political to the very personal. Hi, this is Pat calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I listen to you on streaming. My big hope for this year, after working in the elections in Wisconsin and watching the voting going on and helping people to vote, I'm really thankful that we have a Democratic elected president in process in this country. A lot of countries don't have that. It was really great to watch it work. Thanks. Hi, this is Vince from Waikoloa Village. And for me, what I'm most thankful for in this 2020 is that uh, during all the adversity that my wife and I endured and all the changes that it forced us to go through, um, my love for her grew deeper than I've ever felt it before. Just watching her uh, cope and power through these, these hard times um, was so impressive and my love for her is, is stronger than it's ever been. So I'm super grateful for that in 2020. And uh, this New Year's Eve will be our 10-year meetiversary, 10 years from the day we met. So I'm, I'm really uh, grateful for that. And happy meetiversary to Vince and his wife. And to all our listeners, we send wishes for a happy, healthy, and much improved New Year. That is our program for today and for this year. The conversation's off for this New Year's holiday, but tune in tomorrow at this time for the Marketplace Tech special, How We Survive. You can give us some feedback. If you've got questions about anything you've heard on the air, you can call our talkback line also with comments, 808-792-8217. You can email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Connect online, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm Bill Dorman. We'll see you in the new year for more of the conversation. Aloha.